Nekassel. Nøssel. Det er jo en nøsselpand. Ej. Han kan ikke den er tynd. Wow, what's happening? Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, episode 87. Today is June 24th, 2020, and we have a, we have a pretty special episode lined up today. Uh, since we since we took the in-between away from you, we decided we would do a fun episode today that's a little bit different from what we usually do and kind of celebrate our anniversary. Like we've been we've been doing this for three years now, entering our fourth year, and we wanted to take a minute and take a look back at some of the places that we came from and, and everything that was going on <laughs> back at that time, which, if you remember, was solely squared around WannaCry, NotPetya, and the other things that were happening there in early-mid 2017. Uh, we're also going to be joined today by a couple of special guests from a friendly podcast at Cisco. Ben and Hazel from Security Stories are going to be joining us for a segment here in the middle of the show. But first, let's go around the table and let's start this show off the same way we start off every week and get an opening thought from everybody. Craig, you're top left today, so you are first up. You know, it's it's been a weird couple of days, right? We had a, a long period of time where uh, I thought Austin was doing okay with the whole plague thing, and then that went catastrophically <laughs> the other direction. <laughs> so... You know, it's been a stressful couple of days. Florida checking in. Can confirm. <laughs> oh, my god! Yeah, Arizona can't take your call right now. Too busy. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that, though. Matt, what has been on your mind? How are you doing today? Uh, uh, you know, I, not great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... it's uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. It's... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's hard to it's uh, hard to concentrate. It's hard to stay energized. It's hard to 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 keep on things. And I think uh, and the one of the, one of the I don't know if we've talked about this, but one of the cool things about being a manager is that you get to sample uh, from a, a broad swath of people how they're reacting to things. And so I mean, I can at least feel that having you know some trouble sleeping sometime or some trouble concentrating or a lack of focus or energy completely normal reactions to to what we're all going through so i would just share that if that's things you're feeling that's that's the way humans react to stuff like this you're okay keep going it'll be all right and uh i'm gonna take a nap for the rest of the episode i think (laughs) (laughs) well we're we're probably gonna need you here in a little bit so if you want to you want to squeeze in that cat nap while nigel's uh you know, going on about what he's been doing this week. So what's been on your ni- your mind, Nigel? Well, right now I'm considering how we're going to manage to get this time machine working because you said we've got these this guest thing coming up in the show, in the middle of the show here, and I'm uh, pretty sure we've already recorded Ooh, that. Are you saying Mitch so is lying to the like audience? We have to now go back so. in time that works. and then we can do this bit. And then we've got that bit, and then we've got the, you know, back forwards in time again. No, I'm a time warlock, and you can shut up. (laughs) Joel. I mean, I've already done one entire podcast today, and I haven't even gotten my nap yet. Yeah. So it's like, you're right. 
Post it's really weird. Now. So, you know, that and then, you know, the Mighty Reds are playing this afternoon too. So I've got pretty much a hard stop here in about mm-hmm. an hour and a half. And uh, just saying, right, back at Anfield, Crystal Palace, it's on. Shout out to Rob, by the way. He's a Crystal Palace fan. What's up, Rob? Joe, what's on your mind today, buddy? Uh, I've had a really good week. Uh, I've had a very first world week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Two interesting statements. Yeah, I've had a very first world week. Um, I've had a couple big projects kind of kick off here at the house, and so I'm fairly excited about those things. Um, And uh, for our YouTube uh, premium uh, subscribers, could you please write in? And tell Nigel to shave that weird friggin' Santa Claus beard that he's got going on. It's a little <laughs> weird. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I've been having a pretty good week so far. It's it's Wednesday, but I've been having a pretty good week so far. So let's just, uh, and I've got Friday off. So let's just uh, screw this week up, please. Yeah. I had an interesting week, actually, this week. I, I did want to share uh, kind of, Matt, you know, what you were saying. You got to take your wins where you can get them. Uh, sometimes. And I actually had to go to the doctor last week and get my blood work back and all that kind of stuff from, from my annual appointment. And somehow, somehow during this stay at home, uh, period, I have not only managed to lose five pounds, but my blood work is better than ever. And I swear to God, I've just been living on craft beer and sourdough bread for three months. I don't know how it happened, but I'm going to take it as a win, and I'm going to keep going with it. Like, that's so you all. have unlocked like the George Burns thing, like drink whiskey and and smoke cigars and yeah, and yeah. Apparently, like I found like the I found the combination for yeah. uh, you know my metabolism or something. I don't know how it's working, but I'm not going to screw with it. Just going to Florida doctors. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Your doctor's supposed to go to college. That's weird. <laughs> that's. That's just overrated. Yeah, those ones don't have sales like the other ones. Don't buy into that. Yeah. No, he went to uh, American Medical Technical School of Technology and... Doctory. In Florida. In Boca. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a mail-in. Oh, man. Guys, uh, this is episode 88. 88 different times that we have... Well, actually 89 because we did have that one lost episode. (sighs) But uh, oh, you yeah. know, 80, 88 times that we've been together now, and I wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, how we got here in the first place. I seem to remember it was Mitchell's idea, pretty sure. And we all went, no, Mitchell, <laughs> no. And you were just so insistent that we eventually went, oh, shut God, up. Shut yeah, up. All right. all right, then. It will talk to you if you'd stop. I refuse to believe that somebody tried to talk me out of this beforehand. Really? <laughs> when we started this podcast, we had there, w- there was the idea, you know, there was the concept and how should we do it? What should we do? So we went and recorded a few test episodes. Yeah. And then we let people listen to them. And nobody's heard them since. There was a lot more honest discussion and open use of profanity for the first three episodes. And then after that, Matt was like, what are you thinking? Wachinski, that is. Um, yeah, and then we actually... Oh, not just Wachinski. <laughs> no, there was a lot. No, yeah, it was not. It was only talking no, I mean, to you, Craig. The, this podcast is kind of the final form of like ideas that we've had for years. And we talked about having a podcast way back in the VRT days. Um, and we were just like, well, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna record and produce this thing? And all of us <laughs> put our hands down and none of us took steps forward. And so we said, screw it. <laughs> 
And then the the timeline that I remember was Craig going, let's do a podcast. And it was the four of you, and you guys recorded four of them. Um, and then... So we did those first few episodes, realized that this was going to be hard, kind of revamped how we were doing the show. And that's really what the point of those were. And then we thought right. we had hit the prime time and the magic formula, and we released episode one. I don't know if anybody's gone back to listen to episode one. It was great. It, it was, was <laughs> a masterpiece. It was, it was a masterpiece. It was, it was an absolute yeah. masterpiece. So in those uh, in the in the early times, we did have a goal. Like we we started this podcast for the sole purpose of of mixing a little education and fun, uh, and I think we did that pretty well. But uh, as soon as we released this podcast, we put our first few episodes up. Like that very week was the week that Wanna Cry happened. Oh, yeah. I see. So I'm I'm looking back at the uh, podcast list. So we did three episodes, and then Want to Cry. The fourth the fourth episode was Want to Cry. That's when Matt came mm -hmm. back. Well, and yeah. I remember what was interesting yeah. about that one was that we we had I mean we had a system. It wasn't really tested at that point. But then once Want to Cry happened, we wanted to get information out quickly, and we wanted to make sure we conveyed that some of it was uncertain. And in blog form, that's really hard to do. So we were like, hey, yeah. let's try a podcast real quick. Let's do and audio. Yeah. Yeah. We ground it out. It worked really well. So, well, so what we did was actually record bits of, you know, a few podcasts. And then we, uh, Craig basically released Wanna Cry, <laughs> you know, so that we could As a promotional have something vehicle to talk for the about podcast. Yeah. Yeah. On, yeah. On the next Good one. Good job, Craig. <laughs> and then, you know, a month or so later, we, we didn't actually get all the all the downloads we wanted with WannaCry. So and we so went he ahead. Released Netia, yeah. 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 So he released Not Petya. And yep. uh and, and the rest of that one is history. This all checks out. Today we have the Security Stories crew stopping by to join us for a bit. If you haven't checked it out already, Security Stories is a new podcast from our good friends over in the mothership at Cisco Security. Recently, actually, a few of us were just on on your podcast, so we want to we want to welcome Hazel and Ben to Beers with Talos. Thanks for stopping by today, guys. No, thanks for having us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you say that now. But <laughs> At the moment, we're re yes. not regretting anything. Yes. I don't know about later on. <laughs> so uh, we came by recently, and we were talking a little bit about Not Petya and the anniversary of that, and and we're also going to be talking a little bit about that today uh, throughout our podcast. You guys got to talk to Andy Greenberg and sit down with him and talk to him about NotPetya and everything that happened there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, Andy Greenberg is a senior journalist for, for Wired magazine. Uh, he has spent a great deal of time uh, on the ground in certain countries uh, known for their cyber criminal activities. I'm sure I don't need to tell you which countries Canada. they are. Um, and from his... <laughs> <laughs> Mostly. Um, and from his sources that he acquired, he wrote a piece in Wired magazine, uh, which dropped the day before NotPetya. So June 26th, he wrote a piece around how something like NotPetya was probably going to occur sometime quite soon. You, know, you guys talked about um, you were you were kind of you know, waiting for something like this to happen. So was he. And he wrote about it um, in, in Wired magazine. 
Um, so after it, it hit and he, he really wanted to do some, some more work with, on that and he took a year out of Wired to uh, research and write the book Sandworm. Uh, it's called Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War and the Hunt for the Kremlin's Most Dangerous Hackers. So it starts off as a bit of a detective story, a whodunit, um, and it then soon turns into a bit of a, a disaster story. So he talked to me about that. He talked to me... Um, it's quite, the, book, the book is quite interesting in itself. He, he quotes uh, the book Dune a lot, um, which I believe is what the sandworm attackers use sometimes in their code. Um, so each chapter starts out with a line from Dune. So the first one is, uh, use the first moments in study. You may miss an opportunity for quick victory this way, but the moments of study are insurance of success. Take your time and be sure which made me think of you guys, because um, what you were talking about on our podcast was about your whole ethos is um, is to be right. Not necessarily first, although that's great too, but to be right. Um, so yeah, it was a really, really interesting chat. We discovered, um, you know, uh, with him, when he discovered NotPetya and all the red herrings, he called his sources and he found out what it, you know, what initially looked like ransomware. Um, it turned out there was no decryption mechanism available in the code and all that kind of thing. So it's a, it was a really, really great chat. And I know Ben, you you took an awful lot from the interview as well. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great interview, uh, and uh, he talked about a number of other things alongside uh, uh, the NotPetya thing. Um, one of the topics that was brought up was the idea about privacy, and he called privacy a squishy issue. And I thought that was kind of an interesting idea, um, and it's something that uh, I think you guys might actually be able um, to relate to or or see something you know tied in with this. He kind of talked about why he gravitates towards these larger issues and uh, likes to get out there and uh, uh, talk to people about um, stuff like not Petcha, get to to know people involved and tell those big grand stories about cybersecurity. You guys have had a number of guests that on your podcast. It's kind of the way you you do your podcast, generally speaking. So yeah. you adopted this well, more of a, a storytelling kind of a kind of an approach to security, which I, I find interesting. Um, I, I subscribe just for that reason, to be quite honest with you. But <laughs> like, so tell us a little bit about that, like this, this storytelling approach that you guys have elected for for the podcast. I think storytelling is one of the most powerful things that you can do to invoke action and also to get you to remember something. So if I think of an example, I'll give you an example from uh, the movie Jaws. So everyone remembers some key things from that movie. We all remember like the rapid zoom into Brody when the kid gets eaten after he opened the beach again. We all remember the slap from the mother. Uh, we remember him backing up into the cabin and, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat. He's going to need a bigger boat. You are going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> but the scene that I remember the most for the may, may, the way it made me feel um, was Quint telling the story of uh, the Indianapolis um, the mood is so intense and I know that's partly because Robert Shaw was drunk the first time so they had to redo it but the mood is very very intense <laughs> and he is really vividly recalling um, his experience you know 1100 men went into the water the ship went down in 12 minutes we didn't know that our mission was so secret that no distress sing signal had been sent he talks about the shark's eyes you know um, how they would look at you right in the eye with their black dead eyes like a doll and they don't seem to be living until they bite you and those black eyes roll over and you're just so so captivated and that's what kind of storytelling is for me it's just a very very effective way to um, get people to remember something 
Another example that I like to talk about is uh, my favorite TV show ever, which is The West Wing. Oh, here um, we go. And Deputy yes. Chief. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about going off on tangents. This is, this is mine. Um, so in season two, Jeff, uh, uh, Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Lyman is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He was shot as part of an assassina- assassination attempt on one of the president's Spoiler. black members of staff. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Josh is in the Oval Office one time after that, and he is screaming at the president to get him to do something that he wants him to do. And you don't scream at the president. So he now thinks he's going to lose his job. Liam McGarry, who's played by the late, great John Spencer, comes up to him. And he, Josh is thinking at this point, I'm going to get fired. But Leo starts to tell him a story. So uh, the story is a guy falls down a hole and can't get out. An hour later, a doctor walks by and our guy says, hey, doc, I fell, fell down this hole and I can't get out. Can you help? And the doctor writes down a prescription, throws it in the hole and moves on. An hour later, a priest walks by. Uh, you know, father, I'm, I'm down this hole. Can you, can you help me? Um, and the priest writes down a prayer, throws it in the hole and moves on. A few more hours go by when a friend walks past and our guy goes, you know, Joe, it's me. Um, I'm down here. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole with him. And our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. Uh, and the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. And then Leo says, as long as I've got a job, you've got a job. And Leo has, himself has had his fair share of you know, post-traumatic stress. Um, so he knows exactly what Josh is going through. So he could have said to him, you know, Josh, I'm not going to fire you. Don't worry about it. But he told a story. Um, so that empathy and that genuineness kind of really came through. So storytelling to me is something I'm really, really passionate about. And what I wanted to do with Security Stories is I wanted to to speak to people to get their experiences. And this actually goes back to um, my very, very first job out of university when I was 21, which is a very, very long time ago. Um, I was... Uh, part of a company called the Entrepreneurs Forum, which is a very small membership organization in uh, the Northeast where I'm from and still live. Um, And they wanted me to help set up a campaign called If We Can, You Can. And this was all about um, encouraging more people who had an idea of a business to to set it up and, you know, give, you know, create a, a better economy in the Northeast. And the philosophy behind it was that I got in my car with my video camera and I went to interview um, probably about 200, 300 entrepreneurs. And they told me their story from uh, that defining moment when they decided they were going to go for it, whether it was through redundancy or um, they got really frustrated at a job or, you know, a better lifestyle, whatever it was, um, to then how they managed that risk, how they hired their first member of staff, um, you know, and and kind of a real behind the scenes look at what it's actually like to, to grow a business. And it was so powerful. So I wanted to take that to security. I've been in the industry now for about 10 years. And, um, you know, one thing that I have kind of taken from this is it can be really, really tough. You know, we have some of the highest burnout rates, uh, you know, in uh, you know, across all industries. Um, but it can also be really fun and you can come up with ideas that genuinely can help and change people. So I wanted to capture those stories from, you know, what it's really like to uh, to build a security team. You know, how do you hire the right people? Um, what are the best security outcomes? How do you measure things? How do you 
you know, go into the boardroom and ask for investment around security? How do you create a culture within the organisation around security so it's not siloed just to this department? Um, so that's the whole kind of idea behind it is, you know, these uh, security leaders are sitting down with me, uh, telling me their life stories, uh, the things that they've learned along the way, the mistakes that they've made, uh, the things they wish they'd done differently. And it's all because they know how tough it is and they want to help other people, other security leaders or other aspiring security leaders to do the best job that they can do by learning from others. And that's the whole philosophy behind it. Who are some of those guests that you've had that have told you some of those inspiring stories? I did notice that you guys had one of our favorite guests on, uh, and you had, they had Wendy guys. They had Wendy, Wendy come yeah. by. <laughs> yeah, Wendy's amazing. Uh, every day I just kind of be, I, I, I'm just sort of consumed by how wonderful she is. She just kind of does something new every day that I'm just so inspired by. Um, so yeah, she she talked to me a lot. Um, one of the things um, I think that stood out for me from that interview with Wendy is that um, she's all about encouraging the type of behavior that you want to encourage. So, you know, with the, with the duo, um, simulated phishing program, it's, it's not about, um, beating people over a stick when they click on something that they, you know, with hindsight might not have done. Um, it's about celebrating everybody who reports that email or, um, says, uh, Ooh, sorry, I've clicked on it. Um, because that's, the behavior that you want to encourage you know if you constantly beat people over with, with a stick that's not sort of the you're not going to get any sort of cultural level of change um within that um my other favorite interview is um with maureen allison who is the CISO of johnson and johnson um uh, she is a, a military veteran. She graduated from West Point Academy in the first class to ever include women. Um, she's a key figure in getting rid of discriminatory laws against women in combat. Um, and she's sort of taken a lot of stuff that she did in the military uh, into um into the commercial industry because of course what she loves doing and what she loves people who do in her team is question things you know what are the requirements to be in combat nothing other than you can't be a woman okay that's discrimination so let's work on changing that um and she loves people in her team who are inquisitive and they're never happy with the status quo you know why is that there um and because that's what makes wonderful security engineers um Another story about Maureen that I love is that she developed and participated in the nuclear terrorism exercise uh, Compass Rose 88, which is the largest mock terrorism incident um, by the federal government. And it was all about how agencies would work together in the face of a nuclear weapon based attack. Um, and what she told me is that what she learned from doing that is the significance of doing tabletop, sorry, tabletop exercises. Um, and that's a pretty big lesson by anyone's definition. Um, but what she talked about is it's never okay to guess how something might work. You have to see it in action. You have to test it. You have to refine it. You never make assumptions about being you know, you know too quick to jump to any conclusions, um, which probably applies to people as much as it does to, to security. Um, and actually, one of the papers that she wrote from doing that exercise ended up uh, being a key part of the Patriot Act. She says she has absolutely no idea how it happened. She'll never get any credit for it. Um, she doesn't worry too much about that. She's grateful for the experience. But yeah, her, her experience is in the, in the also, Patriot Act. Also, as a result <laughs> of her cool. work for uh, uh, equality in the military, uh, the first female just graduated mm -hmm. uh, Special Forces training uh, last week, which is... Super yeah, awesome. absolutely. 
Um, I could honestly write a, a, a Hollywood script based on her life, um, uh, but there's, there is just kind of one more thing I want to tell you about her, which is that um, she was a special FBI agent after she graduated, um, firstly in counterterrorism, and then she moved on to undercover drug operations. Um, and what she talked about was how she developed her informant. Um, so, Oh, I've seen Narcos. I know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said that everyone has good and bad in them. Um, it's how they choose to act on that. So with her informants, what she did was develop a mutual level of respect with them, got to know them really well, got to kind of care about them and their families. And that's how her informants chose to do the right thing and tell her things that they might not normally have told anybody you know, for, for whatever reason. And that's that was the example that she chose to talk about leadership. It's all about being genuine and caring and taking a real interest in your team. Um, because when people feel that they're part of a, I guess, a tribe or, you know, that, that someone really cares about them as a person, not just as their, not just their performance, they do a far better job than when it is just a job. And most of Marine's team have been with her for 10 years. So she's definitely doing something right. Hey, Mitchell, I've got a question. Shoot. My question for both of you is, why did you choose security? By accident, <laughs> as I think a lot of people have. When I was working for the Entrepreneurs Forum, it was a, you know, a business organization, but um, we put on a security event for our business leaders. And um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this word on the podcast, but we had some guys over from uh, Sophos or Sophos. What they talked about uh, in terms of you know, just, just being such a significant uh, impact and how what they do, you know, is really, um, there's a moralistic aspect to, to, to security. And I just, I was, I still remember that event. I still remember what they talked about. And I just figured that um, I wanted to be part of something where I can actually feel good about my job, um, as you know, as well as it being a job. I wanted to, I wanted to feel good about it. And um, as soon as I, started to get into security and I started to create content around it, um, the more interesting I found it um, and the more amazing people I got to meet. So I kind of chose security for the people that I spoke to about security rather than anything else. Yeah, in my case, uh, it was actually kind of an interesting um, uh, situation as well. I did kind of fall into it to some extent, um, though I always kind of had a, an interest in it. Um, you know, I was interested in computers from a young age. Um, started programming basic at about age eight, you know, uh, in the early eighties, you know, there's a lot of kids that age that were, you know, had computers to do that. That was always just kind of a hobby for me. But uh, when I got into to university, I realized something. Um, I, here I was doing a journalism degree um, and the, uh, the folks I was doing that degree with didn't know anything about computers. Um, I, I landed a job in the computer lab and looking after things and, and basically instructing people on very basic stuff. Um, and then uh, uh, from there, ultimately, uh, I graduated uh, and, and the state where I was living, I'm from Oregon originally, um, had the, the highest unemployment rate in the, the country the year I graduated, which is a lovely thing. Um, and uh, so I took a job um, doing frontline tech support for a cybersecurity company. Um, and I just fell into uh, uh, the work in the sense that um, they put me on a virus removal line. Um, and I started doing that uh, uh, on a daily basis and really, really kind of developed that passion at that stage, um, helping people solve those problems and figuring out, you know, how to get these things off systems when you could. Also, that, well, then, I guess, carrying on from that one, then, one of the things that Mitchell keeps rabbiting on about re recently and uh, around this stuff is 
thinking about what you're doing now and how you got into things, what advice would you give to someone who is new and going to start and maybe was looking at security as a career? Um, I guess one of the things I would say is don't be afraid of failure um, because the, uh, a, a lot of this uh, this security industry is about going following a path or um, you know going after something that turns out to be nothing so you've got to kind of bounce back from that um, and not kind of think oh that was all my fault I'm the, I'm the worst investigator ever um, and move on to something else uh, so kind of a bounce back ability would be uh, would be good um, it's also uh, as Maureen was saying it's a, a relentless need to question everything question the, the status quo um, why is something like that it doesn't seem quite right let's go after that um, and with that, you've got to have a, a, a bounce back from failure as well, because not everything turns out to be wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and the other thing I would probably say is um, um, realizing it's all about your team and people. It's I would say if there's any running theme from the episodes that we've done so far, um, it's that people are more far more important than anyone might think. So choose, uh, as in any industry, choose a team and a culture that you feel passionate about. Yeah, I, uh, well, I agree with everything Hazel's saying there. Uh, the one thing I would add on to that would be uh, don't feel that you necessarily have to have that computer science degree uh, to, to work in this industry. Um, there are so many areas where people can participate and help and, and assist and and, and, and make a difference really when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, you know, whether you're, you're doing a, a something like a psychology or, you know, journalism in, in, in my case, and, uh, or um, I think uh, mathematics, for instance. I mean, I'm sure you probably, guys have probably looked at a lot of guys that have math degrees that may never have really done much programming in their time, but they have those problem solving skills. There's a variety of different backgrounds you can come with to this industry. Um, and other than that, it really just takes a real innate sense of curiosity. I mean, you really want to know about how things um, work and, and, and want to, to solve problems or bring a new, new way of looking at things with these different backgrounds to, to this industry. Because there's a lot that can be done there with uh, varying uh, viewpoints and, and ideas and backgrounds. Awesome. The folks are Hazel Burton and Ben Nahorny. The podcast is Security Stories. How can everybody get a hold of that podcast if they're looking for it? Yep. Um, so we are on um, most podcast platforms. So we're on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. So if you just search uh, Security Stories, uh, we also have a website. And if you go to cisco.com slash go slash security stories, you can um, see all of our back catalog and learn more about the people that we've interviewed, the amazing people that we've interviewed. Awesome. I want to thank you guys for stopping by today. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about NotPetya on the other side of this random fact from Nigel. I'm fantastic at pub quizzes. Going back to what you were talking about on Jaws, the reason why they didn't know what, uh, what the mission was on the Indianapolis was because they were carrying bits for the atomic bomb that was going to be dropped. So, you know, there you go. Random, random fact. Also, the line, we're going to need a bigger boat, was improvised. Since we're talking about NotPetya, uh, we were just talking, and when we were talking with, uh, with Ben and Hazel, Matt, you, you had mentioned a couple things uh, in, those, in those early times, like when we talked about how we implemented the Taser system and, mm -hmm. and what that meant. And that's really effectively uh, all about 
communication. It's about getting the right info to the right people in a, in a critical event. Can you tell us a little bit more in depth, like how that happened? Externally speaking, the WannaCry, like we did everything we needed to do in WannaCry. Like we were really proud with our response time and it was, it was good. Um, internally, the process of that was just a nightmare um, in terms of, of it was global. We had all of our partners contacting us. We had every Cisco sales guy on the planet wanting an update. We had, you know, coordination with our partners. Uh, we had internal people with finding things on Twitter. And, like, just the, the information flow was not managed so it's like actually it's the the main thing I think the 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 driving force for the the tasers thing was to limit information almost uh, to a large extent like only certain people like like the reverse engineering team needed only certain kinds of information and otherwise you needed to leave the reverse engineering team alone and if you had unstructured information there was a specific channel for that to go into where we had analysts who could kind of like dig through it, evaluate it for, you know, trustworthiness, et cetera, and then pass that on to, to researchers. Um, if we were going to communicate, it was going to be communicating through a particular person and the people who wanted the information knew who that person was. So when we, when we activate a Taser's incident, um, I think the last one we had, it was probably Joel was, was kind of our external comms lead. And so one of the first things we did was we told everybody in the company, hey, we are currently investigating this in a Taser's format. This is the human being that you can talk to about what's going on. Don't bother anybody else because uh, right. we're busy right now trying to, to, to understand what's happening. Um, so it's it's um, if you if you are. So I've been in both the private. I've been both on on the defense side and on the research side. Like I've been at a company that was having a severe security incident as part of that company. And I've also been at a vendor during a global incident. And like, they are very um, similar feelings. Um, the difference is at the vendor, you have many, many more bosses and people that, that, that want to, to interface with you. And you really mm -hmm. have to actively set up, quite frankly, obstacles to them so that your people can do their job. And I think that's <laughs> that's kind of the main thing that Tasers was was designed to. Yeah, and I think just to give that some color, because a lot of people are going to be like, what does he mean? Who would be bothering them? You know, you everybody, weren't you listening? Everybody, <laughs> all people, everybody yeah. either yeah. wanted you to tell them what they thought, what, what was going on, or thought they knew what was going on and wanted to tell you what they thought. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're not in a giant company with 10 trillion salespeople, you really can't understand the number of people who will reach out to you through inappropriate channels or will cold call your desk when you're in the middle of a important meeting uh, over and over again sometimes in order to validate some information they heard or to try and get a particular answer for their customer as opposed to just reading the blog post or the internal guidance where that information is all there. Um, so I think, you know, this is something that's important for anyone who's dealing with these type of incidents, especially, you know, medium and larger businesses. You've got to find a way to shield your employees because people are going to take those inappropriate channels. 
So get a page where you put up a write-up, update it every six hours or something, and point everyone there. Or have someone in charge of it like we did with Joel so that they can be that point of communication. Yeah. So Joel, you uh, you can you and I could can probably speak to this the most. Um, with it, it, As much as it is about keeping researchers focused on their area of expertise, to Craig's point, there's a lot of external stakeholders who need information timely. They have big customers depending on it, or they have a client that is in a critical situation. So a big part of that is getting the right information to the right people at the right time and communicating to them where they can find that. Like, So what, what is that external piece of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, that firewall uh, look like? Yeah, I mean, the the question when you're dealing with something like this, the question is always going to be, oh, would be people be interested in hearing about that or should we put that information out? The answer for that question is always going to be yes. People are going to want to hear that information. They don't care what it is, whether how big it is, whether it's monumental shifting. They're going to want to hear the information. Now, what what my job during the Not Pet Yet incident was, was to decide what goes out, when it goes out. And really, it's really a question of, um, are, are we sure this is a fact and not conjuncture? or not a hypothesis, or how confident are we? And so that's like... Um, so the struggles between transparency and certainty is what It is. And so you kind of want to err. I always kind of err on the side of transparency. Um, however, you have to, when you're being transparent, you have to be factual. So, uh, you know, you could, you could just be transparent and say everything, but then you wind up with, you know, well, not Petya was spread through email, which we all, you know, knew at the time and know now to be completely fake uh, or completely uh, inaccurate. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's my job during that particular incident was to manage that in and out. And it was, or mostly the out, it was, it was, it was interesting, difficult, lots of different adjectives that I could choose there, but um, you want to be transparent, but erring on the side of factual is kind of, I guess, my boiler. You boil it down to that. And Nigel, you have you have yet another take on this, right? We went through Wanna Cry and Not Pet Ya. Your team also have the additional burden of securing Talos. Defending your own network, yeah. Right. When there is a, a, a tasers type event or a, you know, all hands on deck event of any kind, like what does that look like from your perspective? Well, I think that um, we're probably in a slightly better position than most because we're getting, you know, up to the minute information on what the problems actually are. So we're making sure that we don't have those exploitable conditions around. You, you as sit much relatively as possible, close to the intelligence say. source. So, <laughs> right. Right. So you're, you know, you're getting that and, and, you know, making sure that, that things are, are kind of good to go on that front. So you're kind of constantly shipping information from one hand to the other hand and back again, right? What are we seeing gets fed back as well as what does this look like to everybody else and what are the problems getting fed back into my guys who are looking after uh, uh, our infrastructure and stuff like that, right? So... You know, you kind of you're working on both sides of that. You've got, fortunately, we have a foot in both camps, which is pretty useful, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, just to add something that I think is useful, and I don't know if anybody else will agree with this, but to me, I think one of the things that I, I've definitely gotten out of this throughout the different various emergency, critical, crazy things that we seem to dive into about every six weeks, you know, this is a great place to have our unofficial after action, right? And kind of touch base with the departments across Talos and, and just talk about not like the technical and the functionality of the organization and all the things that matter business-wise, but just like how did it go? How did the departments go? What could we improve? Where do we communicate well, poorly? What mistakes did we make that we learned from that we can then share with the audience so that they don't have to make those mistakes? Um, right. I, I find that extremely useful. You know, it's I, I hate to use an example like this, but like... 10 or 15 years ago when I used to smoke cigarettes, I would constantly stop, you know, because I, I had to smoke a cigarette and I would sit there and take like a five minute break and reevaluate my position on everything I'd done that morning. And this is kind of like the mm. weekly version of that. You know, I, I can sit back and look <laughs> some people call that some people call right? that therapy, Craig. <laughs> How does that make you feel, Joel? I know. <laughs> Well, that, that's where I think, you know, kind of we, you know, did with things like tasers and like how we operate now, how we do emergency podcasts, how we put out podcasts for critical events, how we handle the blog post, how we came up with Matt's uh, thing he wrote up on the confidence scale. So I, I think the, the, the important part is to make sure that you don't ever rotate, right? Like you could get, you could get very process bogged down and you can get no process at all. And finding that middle ground is is the key. And uh, I think you know, credit to to Matthew is that when he sat down in one night and wrote the entire friggin' tasers process, and and it works. And it you know, and uh, but it, it walks the fine line in between of of not over rotating into too much process and then keeping the lines of communication open at all time. Good job, Matt. Is that bad? That's what we're saying, buddy. Just good job on that. It was. It was. Uh, it was definitely written on, uh, founded on my past emergency services work. So it was not like I came up with it all by myself. There was, there was plenty of research backing up. What oh, so we did. now you admit you copied and pasted the shit. Out I was of it. pretty clear at the time exactly what <laughs> I was. <had done. laughs> hey guys, this works. Let's use this. Yeah, that's pretty Let's much what I told again. Matt. I'm like, I've done this yeah. before. Here, there's the here's the federal document that describes it. I'm going to re-implement this for us. And he's like, okay. So I do want to. Uh, we do want to go around the table. Close this one up like we do every show. This one has has been a little bit longer than our episodes have been lately, but I think we've had some good stuff to discuss. But we'll we'll go in the same order that we started the show in for a for a closing thought and a parting shot uh, to wrap it all up. Nigel, that puts you in the batter's box. Does it? Because we started yeah, using the top Craig. left. That was the yeah. Role. How did you guys switch positions? When did that happen? I mean, WebEx does that. Oh, it does that. Oh, from you're time in the top to left time. now, so we are still going in the same order. <laughs> they just people straight, Mitch. Stick to your guns, buddy. This is the way. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the you know, the mighty Reds will be marching on this afternoon, victorious and glorious again, as we you know continue our inevitable march onto our uh, next title. Good to be and, back. Um, one more thing. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention uh, earlier, and I forgot, 
was um, just to let Ashley know that it is perfectly normal for a woman's foot, you know, their feet to actually grow by a half a size when they're pregnant. Yeah, that's true. And that, and that uh, they won't shrink again afterwards. So it's all okay. <laughs> all right. So Ashley, if you're listening, it's fine. So if you had like 15 kids, you could end up being like five foot three with yeah. some sa- shack oh, size. Oh, yeah. Huge <laughs> shack <laughs> size. Does that, yeah. does that make you swim faster? How does that work? I, I would think so. I would think yeah, so. Yeah, of course What's it does. Superpower, huh? Yeah. 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 Joel. Closing thought, parting shot. Verizon's coming Friday. Yeah, they are, buddy. To install yeah, my gig are. internet, and I'm pretty happy about that. So, oh yeah, that's really that's really what I'm. I my my world right now is very extremely first world, and I'm and I'm okay with that. Right, right this second. Good, Craig. Uh, yeah, man, it's been a rough couple of days. I, I feel like it's going to be a rough couple of weeks coming up um i guess i'm not leaving my house soon so that's disappointing anyway there's still internet so all right <laughs> that's how they're gonna get you matt <laughs> what's on your mind closing thought uh, just uh i would just thank the listeners for three years i can't believe we've done this for three years this is patently ridiculous that this is a thing that we do true story so, yeah so it is uh it is awesome that you're out there listening and thank you I want to echo that and just say thank you for sticking with us or for coming to join us along the way sometime in the last few years. And definitely make sure to get in touch with us. Our email is in the show notes. You can always reach out on Twitter at Talos Security and address a question to the BWT crew. And and we love hearing from you guys. Uh, you know, contrary to, to Nigel's constant assertions otherwise, all of us, including me, do love the listeners, and we really only do this because of you guys. So, Except for Nigel. Well, Nigel doesn't like <laughs> anybody, so the listeners just aren't excluded. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we appreciate all of you guys listening. Uh, if you're not listening, we have no reason to make this. So thanks for giving us a reason to do this and a reason to get together and, and do something that we love. And and tune in 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 just a couple weeks for episode 89. And until then, cheers. We'll see you soon. Bye.